Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 433. And today we are continuing with our series of listener before and after episodes. Today's guests are Matt and Steve. They first joined us back in episode number 418 before their archery elk hunt in Colorado from this fall. In today's episode, we talk with them after that hunt to hear how it went, the lessons they learned, what they did right, what they could have done differently, and a lot more. As you'll hear about, they got into some action very quickly, so fast, in fact, that it caught them off guard, and then had some wild events throughout their hunt. There's a lot to take away from this one. This was their very first archery elk hunt, and it is always fun to hear about those experiences and that perspective. But even if you're an experienced hunter, there's something you can pull from this episode as well. Before we do dive into that conversation, just wanted to say that if you are enjoying this show, it would help us tremendously if you could leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you use, or just share the show with a friend. We don't do any advertising or anything like that to help this show continue or to grow, so it's all word of mouth and it's all your support, and we thank you for doing that. As always, if you have anything for us directly, whether that's a question, a suggestion, a topic you want to hear more about, just shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Go ahead and do that right now, and then come on back. Let's join Matt and Steve to hear about their archery elk hunt in Colorado. All right, guys. Well, welcome back post-elk season. I uh, have some very brief notes from you but don't know the story so i'm like right alongside the listeners excited to hear how things went lessons learned funny moments all that good stuff um but before we dive into that for listeners who need a refresher or maybe didn't catch the before the hunt episode with you guys uh, matt will you kick things off with just like a super brief hey this is who we are this is the hunt that we were doing type of uh 30, foot view yeah, sure. Absolutely, Mark. So um, Steve and I have been friends for probably 25 years or so. Um, we both went in the military, got out of the military and started hunting, you know, number probably four or five years ago, uh, archery specifically. And last year, Steve had the great idea to go on a Colorado elk hunt. Keep in mind that not only had we never done an elk hunt before, uh, we've never done a Western hunt, never done a backpacking hunt although we've been backpacking all over Colorado. So, you know, what, what came up with like a good idea over a beer kind of developed into a plan of action over kind of 2023. Um, and so we basically spent the entire past year kind of in some of our free time training physically, getting gear together and planning for an elk hunt. Um, and that, you know, that accumulated like in the beginning of August. It's so a culminated. So it's kind of where we are today. Awesome. Steve, uh, very practically, how did the hunt start? And I mean by that, how did traveling out there go? Was it everything s- smooth? Any surprises from the drive? Did you guys go straight to the trailhead and start hiking? Did you have an overnight stay? I'm just curious how that went for you. Yeah, the drive was great. So first, Matt drove the whole time. So I guess bright shotguns. So it was very relaxing for me. <laughs> Fortunately, Matt likes driving. He's got a nice truck. So it was very comfortable <laughs> right out there. We'd... Uh, We've been stockpiling meat eater trivia episodes. So that gobbled up at least four or five hours of time. And 
um, you know, just chit chat. So the ride out there was great. Uh, we spent the night in a hotel, uh, several hours from where the trailhead was, but we got out there and again, it was an easy drive. We, we gained the hour heading West. So we, uh, we stopped and got a, we had to get an elk burger somewhere. So we were searching on Yelp. Who's got bison burgers and elk burgers and things like that. So we found, yeah. you know, brewery had a burger and a beer. It was early. We got to bed early and uh, we repacked our, we both had to repack our packs because once we finally started filling it up with stuff, we're like, this is a, this is a clown show. We need to fix this. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a, a gear dump all over our, our beds in the hotel, but we were able to stay up at a, uh, you know, several thousand feet lower than where our, our trailhead and final um, hunting spot was. So I think that was helped. I know we talked about the last, last, last podcast, two of the specific recommendations you had was one stay very hydrated. And we did that on the drive out, made sure we, we drank plenty of water uh, and then spent the night at a lower elevation before going to higher elevation to make sure we didn't get altitude sickness. And we didn't, I'm very happy to report that was definitely a plus that we both felt good from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, we spent the night there as it, you know, the first day of travel was great and very relaxing. And uh, I think we we're well rested and well prepared when we started the next morning. When you say repacked, the packs uh to touch on the big picture strategy how many days were you guys planning on going in for was the intention to get to a predefined spot and set up a camp or were you staying more mobile what was that looking like matt so we had planned for we talked about a 10-day hunt um seven to ten day hunt um we had packed in enough food for roughly five days because we are, the plan was to do a spike camp. So to uh, hike in camp and then hunt out of camp. And we kind of decided that after five days, we were either going to have killed something, which would have brought us back to the truck to kind of re rearm, refit with food, or we would have gone somewhere else. So we didn't really see a need to bring more than five days of food with us in the bags. And this is skipping ahead. I don't want to like give away the whole story, but just briefly, were you happy with that strategy on this side of the hunt now, or would you have done something different from that high level approach of the hunt? I'd be curious to hear Steve's, but I actually think, uh, I, I would absolutely do it again. Um, because of the train and where we were because of the amount of food we brought in. I mean, we basically, the day we, we walked out, we had like a couple snacks with us. So I think our, our food planning was spot on. Um, and, you know, the, we'll talk about kind of our level of engagement out there, but I, I, I like the way we did it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, to be honest, and this is, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know, uh, but we packed more food than we needed. You know, we looked at our daily and I had, you know, Matt's joked about this on the previous podcast that I've got spreadsheets for everything, right? I overplanned, you know, notes, details, in this case, calories and, and carbohydrates and everything else, weight, you know, calories per ounce and, um, you know, had my, had my meal bags put together every day. So I had a Ziploc bag full of, you know, Ziploc bags with other, other bags, snacks, protein bars, and all that stuff. And I think I ate 70% of it each day. There was always food left over, which is not a bad thing, but it's like, well, next time we can tidy that up a little bit, save some weight and just save some, some, uh, packing. But, uh, no, I think it was a great strategy. And even if, you know, Matt mentioned, you know, either we're going to, you know, we, the plan was either pack it, you know, pack an animal out and have to go throw it in a, in a cool in the back of the truck, grab more food. Or even we were that far from the truck that would have been a, a Herculean task to go down, go back and sit downstairs, go hike down the mountain <laughs> to the truck, get more food. And uh, 
and come back up. So we were kind of prepared for other option. Ultimately, we overpacked on the food. Uh, Matt brought some extra snacks along, like ramen that I hadn't planned on. That was quite a tasty, refreshing treat one day as a change of pace. But uh, no, I think it was a good strategy. I was happy with it. Yeah. About how much food did you have per day? Like about either roughly weight or total calories or both, if you know those numbers since you're a spreadsheet geek. Yeah. If you give me just a minute, I'll pull that spreadsheet up and I'll tell you exactly what was on it. <laughs> <laughs> were there certain foods you found out sounded good as you were packing them, but didn't sound good on the mountain? Anything in particular? Not really. I think, I mean, everything we had on the mountain was tasty. It was a uh, 25.09 ounces. <laughs> give or okay. take a, a you know half an ounce but uh, about 3300 calories okay um, so yeah about a pound and, about a pound and a half you were eating 70 percent of that so you think you're only eating i mean not even 3000 calories then i would say less than 3000 3000 huh. calories um you know i need to it's still sitting maybe most of what i have left over is sitting in a box in the garage <laughs> i haven't put away yet because yeah you know, get home and kids and i'm quite frankly just lazy it's football season yeah. and whitetail season's rolling up if the temperature ever drops in the midwest and uh, hopefully this weekend right um but a lot of the stuff that we had like the peak refuel the meals those were fantastic i mean that was just you know uh, a wonderful you know, they taste great they're easy to make um some of the stuff we had you know i packed you know snacks and almonds and, and fritos things like that just high calorie high fat foods that would be good um didn't eat them all some of the stuff we had we had like the almond butter snacks and um what are they call the honey stingers those mm-hmm. are delightful on the mountain when you need a break so mm-hmm. and we had you know i think we overdid it i think on coffee and tea i think we had like four instant coffees <laughs> a day available to us that we didn't use them all but you know we you know if we had a time well, let's sit down take a break and and you know rest we pull up jet boil and, and make some coffee so overall i'd say that uh we we're pretty happy with some of the stuff i could probably just do without next time just because yeah i wouldn't recommend someone goes into like a backpack elk hunt like if in your in your situation like this is the first time you guys are doing this i wouldn't recommend starting with less food than that i'll put it that way so it's curious to me that you i mean both in terms of total weight and total calories like you weren't i wouldn't say you you were heavily overpacked compared to what most guys would actually consume so yeah i don't think that's an area where you went way overboard i think maybe you just personally don't you know need or prefer that many calories that when it wasn't a matter of not preferring it i was being believe me i like to eat anybody knows me knows that it, i was ready to eat every every you know morsel of food in that bag it's just you know it, we made sure we we snacked when we had breaks you know we took breaks and we prioritized making sure that we kept calories on board versus waiting till it was too late and we overexerted ourselves and then crashed so mm-hmm. it just i i was happy with how i planned it it just turns out i had a lot of food left over and we tried to eat a lot we had you know plenty of food so um, I think the big one was we had, uh, we used bagel sandwiches for lunch that we had, uh, vacuum sealed each day and those were a fantastic lunch. So, and I'd heard that on another podcast, I think for that idea. So I can't claim credit for that as a unique idea, but we basically got Asiago bagels from Panera and loaded them up with cheese, salami and pepperoni vacuum sealed them. And, and that was a great high calorie, you know, relatively low weight, uh, snack to carry around for lunch. Yeah, that was a, a that was an absolute plus. Steve, I was curious if you calculated that in your overall calorie content, but those sandwiches were the perfect easy lunch where you're not breaking out the jet boil to do anything dehydrated. You're just eating a, a nice thick sandwich. Seven hundred and twenty calories, Matt. 
There you go. Well, <laughs> just happened to know. Yeah. I should have known seven that. Seven point three ounces. Yeah. I. It's funny. I man, when I very first started backpack hunting, you know, a decade plus ago, I used to do that quite a bit, and uh, I did it for quite a while. But I haven't done it in a while, and now you're making me want to do it again. Uh, let's dive into the hunt, though. I don't want to totally just geek out, although that was good stuff. I know you guys had some early action, at least an early encounter. I don't know how it all went down, but to go again from two guys doing this the very first time and picking a spot and driving out and hiking in, like it had to be super exciting to have uh, an early encounter. So how did that go down? So I'll start off because um, I guess it was it was our encounter. But um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I got to set the table here and maybe there's some of your listeners like we had ne- I had never heard an elk bugle except for a year, a YouTube video, right? I, I had seen elk on the mountains backpacking um, and that's about as close as it ever got. So, you know, keep that in mind. So, we, you know, we got, like Steve said, we got to the trailhead probably about nine o'clock. Um, again, first public land, Western hunt, we get to the trailhead and where we're supposed to park, there is uh, seven trucks and seven campers. So the parking lot is full. <laughs> and so that that's our first introduction to, oh man, right? Um, and because we're new at this, it's kind of like, we're gonna fight the plan we had versus try to do something on the fly. So we had to park a little down the road. So we, you know, we throw the packs on the camping spot. We had kind of decided on an area was, you know, two, like was two and a half, three miles in from the trailhead. Um, Oh, by the way, on the hike in, we passed, you know, two different groups of people. Um, and, you know, we're, we're getting, we're like, holy cow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people here. And, and we're, we also passed a single wall tent that had a whole horse set up. Right. So, you know, we get to, we find a place to camp um, around noon, you know, get a, get a bite to eat, throw the packs on, decide we want to go just get up on a ridge. Cause at this point, you know, there's nowhere else to go but up because we figured, why not, right? We don't know, we don't know what we're doing anyway, so let's just go up. So we we start working up the mountain. Uh, we I think we even passed one other group um, on the way up the the ridge. We sit down, it's 75 degrees outside. We are you know, sweating our tails off. Hadn't seen anything, hadn't heard anything, and I think after talking about it, Steve and I are both sitting on this ridge, like man, there's no elk in here. <laughs> like there's, we've seen, you know, a million people, there's a million cars, there's tents everywhere. Uh, what are we doing kind of thing? And as we're sitting there, probably eating one of our sandwiches, we see these two guys run up the hill, like literally run up the hill. And we're about five and a half miles from the trailhead. And one guy has a bow and another guy looked what we thought was a camera. And we're just like, what is Instagram world? Like, come on. Like, where are we? What are we no, doing no, here? No packs. They no packs. packs on. Right. And we're five and a half miles. So we're just kind of finished our snack. We see the guys walk out of the woods. And right before they walked out of the woods, we heard a bugle. And I'm like, dude, that's that's those guys. Like, that's literally where those guys just went in the woods. And so we're like, well, we'll just go talk to them. And yeah, we're super nice guys. I think these guys were from St. Louis. No, those are the different guys. These guys were from Anyway, these guys were from the Midwest somewhere. We chatted them up for a minute. They had basically run out of water because, oh, by the way, this mountain had no water on it, which is another fun thing uh, to manage. Um, so they had to run down the mountain, get water, and come back up to camp. And they were going to pack their camp out. And so we we're kind of just chit-chatting them and said, hey, did you hear a bugle back there? And was that you guys? And they're like, no, we didn't hear anything. Like, we didn't hear anything at all. Steve's like, all right, well, we're going to go check that out. So we said our goodbyes. 
and when I say that we walked in their footsteps, like that is not an exaggeration. I mean, they came down a path. We walked up that path to go investigate this bugle. Now, keep in mind, I'd never heard a bugle before, but we kind of assumed that's what it was. And you know, we get in, which we now know was a bed. Here's fresh sign everywhere. And Steve starts, you know, does a locator bugle, locator bugle, bam, this, this guy responds. And, uh, you know, the next, the next, the, the rest of this is probably over seven or eight minutes. So Steve starts lighting this guy up and he is pissed. Um, I mean, I, I wish I could have gotten the whole thing on camera, just the audio because of how the, the, the elk how, was pissed, not Steve. Steve's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, but Steve starts, you know, responding and thrashing brush. And, you know, the next day we went down this hill and it's probably, I think Steve, it took us about an hour or so to get down this hill. Oh, of more, which, more than that. <laughs> more than that. This elk climbs up this mountain in, uh, you know, four minutes, right? So we can hear this elk bugling and running up the mountain. Like so you breaking. know he's coming closer. He's coming, okay. right? And and to say he kind of caught us off guard is probably an understatement, right? So, you know, Steve is going nuts, you know, thrashing, bugling, and, and this bull is bugling the entire way, way up. Um, we kind of take a quick assessment. Steve starts splitting downhill, to get to make you know separate himself from me so i can get him on you know while he's coming in there's a trail below us where the bedding is and so i make an assumption um hey this is where he's going to come up right so i'm set up steve's moving downhill and this elk appears above me uh at 10 yards um i see him walk up and steve can't see him from where he's trees because he's slashing so i'm like trying to do the whisper yell to steve because I watch this elk walk up, so I, I'm full, I pull up in full draw, and Steve turns around and sees me at full draw and stops, and the elk stops, and he's not looking at Steve, but he's looking in the direction of this elk that's supposed to be there that he wants to kill, and this elk is ten yards above me, perfectly hidden behind a like a thick brush, all the vitals. I can see his head, I can see his neck, I can see his antlers, I can see everything. And he just stops. I'm waiting for him to take one step forward just to give me like a front shoulder behind a front shoulder to let that arrow go. And all of a sudden I feel the breeze in the back of my neck. He spins his head, looks dead at me and spins and takes off and he's gone and he's gone. And that was four hours of hunting. Like that was four hours in. So I think I told you when we first spoke that I was going to kill an elk in the first hour, Steve. I think that's what we, the, the claim <laughs> yeah. was when I called that my shot. So I was close, Mark. I was yeah. close. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty incredible. Like Matt said, it was warmer. That was the warmest day of the week. It was 75, 77 degrees maybe. So we just gotten done, you know, hiking up five and a half, you know, miles, something, six miles, something like that from the trailhead. We're thousands of feet elevation. The one thing you can't train for in Kansas is elevation. So we were worn out. It really, Matt says four hours. It was the first hour, hour and a half of actual let's hunt something. You know, we're done moving from point A to point B with a pack on. Let's let's hunt something now. And uh, it was incredible. Like I said, we'd never heard a, a bugle in real life. We never heard a chuckle in real life. And we're looking at each other like, is that a hunter? Is that these guys? Is, it, is that really a, an elk? And you know, we played that a thousand times in our mind. We talked about it, of course, tons of times, the whole drive home, you know, what could we have done differently? And the answer is nothing because we just got there. We didn't know the terrain. We didn't, you know, we kind of knew it from looking at e-scouting, but didn't really know where that animal would come up. So 
If we'd had 10 more minutes, maybe Matt could have climbed up the mountain and gotten to the high side, but we thought he was coming in from this trail that we could see. But getting into a full-blown screaming match with an elk the very first, you know, within two hours was just absolutely incredible. That was like the, you know, the moment you see on YouTube that, you know, that's the moment, that's what you came for. Now it would have been nice if Matt had shot it, and I, I wish he had. That would have been cool, but... Um, you know, I'll, I'll pick a better hunting partner next time. We'll shoot the elk. But, uh, but no, I, I had no idea the elk had even made it up. Um, so I dropped, like Matt said, I dropped down the hill and maybe 40 or 50 yards down and where we come from to try and put some distance between us with the hope that, you know, we'd get the elk to come right past Matt, which almost worked. The wind hadn't shifted on us. Um, and we knew the thermals were coming up. We were well, well aware of what thermals should be doing. We just thought we were already high, high above where he was going to come. And I look over at Matt and I see him at full draw. I had no idea an elk was there until I see him draw. I look up what he's looking at and I could see some antlers. I couldn't see his, uh, the fir- front half of his body or his head. I just saw a couple antlers. So I knew it was a bull giant, giant body on the back half. But uh, oh. that was, that was, you know, two hours in the very first day. And then Matt let it get away. Come on, Matt. I'm a lover. What can I say? I'm a lover. <laughs> so he, you, like you said at one point, he was obviously responding vocally and then you could hear him coming in. Like, so you know he's coming in. But it sounds like the last, called the last bit of his approach, he wasn't calling anymore then, right? It's like you had no indication he was coming on that high side or you didn't hear him, you know, bugle from a pretty close proximity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely down the hill. And, and like Matt said, we explored that area. It was kind of a draw off the edge of this section of the mountain. And we made our way down there. We found all the you know, tons of game trails and we could see, you know, day or two later, whenever this was, this is where he clearly came up. And this is how he got in here so quietly because he had a nice trail coming mm-hmm. up this ridge. Um, but yeah, so once he, and we, again, ignorance, not knowing, you know, having a chance to explore the mountain at all at this point, um, we had no idea that it was so, where he was coming up from. So when he went quiet, it was a very short distance from where he went quiet to where he got in front of Matt. I think what, I mean, you, you said it like this happened very fast, new country. You don't know, obviously new experience, right? You've never heard him elk bugle, much less had an encounter like this. So I, I'm not trying to go back and ask you to say shoulda, woulda, coulda, because it sounds like, I mean, it just happened fast. It was what it was. You guys didn't quote unquote, make a mistake based on anything you knew or could do or could have predicted, right? The question I want to ask is, if you were to put yourself back in that situation now, having had the encounter, not that you did anything wrong the first time, but if you were to go back and start this whole encounter over again, is there anything? I'm not trying to armchair quarterback. Obviously, you would have moved if you knew the elk was going to come, right? But I guess from a big picture, is there any other little thing that you would be like, oh, we should have spaced apart differently or I should have moved five feet to the left because I had better shooting light? Was there anything like that in terms of a takeaway of if I find myself in a similar situation again, here's the things I'm at least going to look for or think through? Absolutely. And I mean, Steve and I both come from the military. Like as soon as we hugged and high five and couldn't believe what we just experienced. We started the AAR, the after action review. Right. And like, we're literally where we were. I said, okay, I should have been up. Like when we first heard that bugle and Steve was, you know, fighting with him vocally, 
I think we both were just taken up in the moment, like, holy cow, man, listen to this thing, right? Yeah. Instead of just sitting there and like gawking at this elk losing his mind, I should have been like, okay, I'm going up the hill, you're going, let's let's move now, right? Instead of just dilly-dallying. Um, and so, and, and we kind of put that to practice, you know, that, that afternoon again, and then later on in the week, create separation immediately. Um, I, I had identified the shooting lanes that I wanted, but like the enemy gets to choose the terrain kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, make sure that you get into a place that maximizes your shooting lanes with eliminating your blind spots. And so, um, in that, in that point specific, but at, at other times throughout the week, I, I think we put those lessons learned in practice immediately. I love even that you said you guys hugged and high fived because that is something to celebrate to like have that experience, man, is uh, cool. Like, even though I've, you know, obviously I've killed some elk, some of the, some of my favorite experiences or moments elk hunting didn't lead a shot, but they were just like close encounters like that. So just, yeah, hold on to those, man. They're cool memories and valuable experiences. You know, for the rest of the week, we continue to run into lots of different groups of people and talking to different ones. And we came across a group of buddies that were from Wisconsin that had been hunting together, I think, Steve, for three or four years and had never gotten five five to eight years. Had never gotten within 150 yards of an elk. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I look back at that as like, yeah, we didn't take one off the mountain that day. But like to have that story, to see to be that close to an elk, to basically hear its breath so close like that is an experience that I'll, I'll never forget. Right. I'm yeah. very thankful for that. And I, I was going to add in just so two things there. One is, and I, we mentioned this on the, on the before podcast is like setting, deciding what success meant to us. And it was mm-hmm. never harvesting an animal. That was the icing on the cake. Like, cause elk hunting's hard. You know, if it was just easy, then it'd be a whole different conversation. So we never made that as the barometer of success for us. It was, let's get into some elk and let's experience the hunt. So Within the first two hours, we did it. Like we got into, I got into a screaming match with a bull. Matt got full draw on it. You know, it didn't stop where he needed it to. There's nothing we could do about that. But so, I mean, right there, we were like, check the box. This has been a successful trip already. Now let's see what we can add on to this experience going forward. But it's also got to, we can't, we got to mention that even after this, then the same, the same day, maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, we had another bull down in that area calling at us. I got another screaming match. We just never got this one to come in. So I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess. It was a different bull. Um, but we had, you know, we were set up again and we, you know, lessons learned, like Matt said, here's what we got to do next time. Matt moves up to a higher point, gets good cover, good shooting lanes. I set back into a different spot and I'm raking and I'm bugling and he screamed back. He just, this bull wouldn't come into us and not knowing the terrain and not, you know, having that, that, um, kind of knowledge at that point we didn't know how we, we had no idea how we we're going to close in this to, to to us it looks like if we step off this we're just going to fall down an unknown amount of distance into some more trees we had no clue at that point but so we actually got two elk encounters the first day just the first one came came in hard fast angry and and within 15 yards so day one we were like checking the box of this is an awesome trip already yeah absolutely that second encounter if i'm following and picturing this right it's it's down below you again on the mountain kind of in what you guys figured out it sounds like later was where they're hanging out potentially bedding etc so this one's below you you're calling there's a back and forth but he's not coming in he's not coming up the mountain he's not getting closer right correct okay how long about i guess how did that play out so 
where you guys just sitting there calling back and forth for a few minutes and eventually he stopped responding or like how did that encounter engagement die uh, that's pretty much what you described it actually i think went on i mean that's hard to say matt i don't know if you have a better idea because i was down there screaming and raking and making a ruckus it felt like it was probably closer to 20 or 30 minutes that we we're going back and forth it was a long time it seemed but eventually he just stopped making noise and you know i tried a few more calls and did a little more raking and and tried to get him fired up and, and was aggressive and he just went silent and i think at the time i I've, i think it was probably close to five or five thirty yeah, five thirty so yeah we were you know we had um we were kind of concerned for light right and we knew the terrain to get down to him was ex- extremely steep so you know we thought about trying to close the distance getting in his bedroom um but we also kind of figured well hey if he's going to set up here tonight like he seems like he's pretty cozy let's back out and try to re-engage him tomorrow um at the higher side and so i think there was a little bit of discussion there about hey we're about to lose light rather than try to close the distance and maybe only get to him right at the end of shooting light um let's maybe start where we know he where we know where they are we're in the bed there's sign everywhere we already came encounter with one because of where the second one was located you know, I think it was a pretty good assumption that wasn't the same one. He's vocal, right? So maybe we can get him to be vocal again in the morning. So I think there was a little bit of a, hey, let's back out and come at this with, you know, fresh light tomorrow. Um, whether that was the right or wrong mistake, I mean, we, we eventually didn't ever find him. But, you know, had, given what we had just experienced and with that elk not moving, we kind of thought that was the best, the best thought. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And I think if it was a different time of day than... Yeah, maybe maybe more actions taken. Maybe you do get more aggressive. But again, like to reiterate, this is day one. You're having encounters. You're hearing vocal elk. You don't know if that's gonna persist. You don't know the terrain yet. Um, I can see with what you knew at the time and with the time that you had to work with why that decision was made. I don't think it was a a bad decision. Definitely, if it was like. 1 p.m. and you had a bunch of time, you know, my head's like, oh yeah, like drop down not straight at him but like circle around drop down get on his level challenge him from you know from his ground and not you know up the mountain type thing but that's a totally different uh thing to sit here and say at this point in time because you guys are just going off what you know at that time which is we just got here we're figuring this out we don't know the country etc so was that the plan for day two then like you guys backed out off of this encounter and you're obviously just in this general vicinity, you've had two vocal elk and some action. Is it, all right, let's get back to camp. We're going to come back in here in the morning. Uh, basically. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we got back to camp and, uh, next morning started off and went back to that exact spot. Um, what was interesting the next morning, and this was a big lesson learned for me. Um, Matt was a shooter again because we only had a half day the first day, so I didn't count that as a full day. So he's shooter up again, and I'm caller. And we're walking back up towards that area, and we hear a bugle from, I don't know, within 50 50 to 70 yards or so probably um, on one side of us. And I went back to what what worked the night before, which was bugle aggressively and get in a fight. And I think what I did was actually chase off a a younger bull um, that didn't want to fight because it got – you know, I think it made one more bugle and then it was, was gone. So uh, that was a, a lesson learned for me was, hey, you don't have to try and, you know, being a novice caller and, and, and not knowing what to do. I just kind of 
went back to what worked the day before, but I think probably should have cow called on that one and, and tried to, to be sweet on him to get him to come in. Um, so that was, that was a quick lesson learned like, well, screw that up early in the morning, about <laughs> six fifteen AM. Um, you but from think then we, that now, because you know that that bull spooked or you think that's what happened, but was there any indication of how that bull called or would you know that now without just armchair quarterbacking that? You know, I, I think my strategy now would just be maybe default to a cow call instead of a, going immediately aggressive. Mm. Um, knowing what I know now. And that's kind of was my, my approach going forward. Now, unfortunately we did not have a lot of experiences where we just got a, you know, first thing in the morning, have an elk just randomly bugle at us. It was, there was a lot of quiet mornings, which was disappointing. We were looking forward to that, you know, bugling at us all night long, but you know, it's pre-rut. So, um, but yeah, I would say doing the whole thing over again, I would definitely uh, have taken a different approach on that one. So again, this is all new to you. Like, hearing bugles in the wild, etc. Whether it was day one or this encounter on day two, did you guys talk amongst yourselves and have that whole weird, like, how far do you think that is type conversation? Because it's, I mean, even with experience, it's difficult at times based off of cover and the sound of an elk, etc. So like, how were you guys gauging, we think this elk is, you know, 100 yards away or 300 yards away or what have you? Yeah. So I think, uh, for most of the trip, that one was an exception because it was so early and we just completely caught off guard. Um, did not expect to hear that one that close. It just seemed like it was close, but if, you know, later on we'd hear bugles and we'd look at, you know, look at Onyx and say, okay, we think it came from down here and use the mapping tool and the, or the measuring tool. I'm like, okay, that's thousands, this many thousands or hundreds of feet down, wherever it was. And this many hundreds of yards out, probably just kind of guessing we think the sound probably came from this general vicinity as far as trying to just gauge it by ear i think we'd be pure guesswork so we're just trying to use the tools we had at our hands the early morning stuff is tough um when you have a bull talking early morning i i hesitate to say this is always the case i'll just say that i've chased my tail in the past a lot trying to engage with bulls early in the morning uh, unproductively <laughs> it's just because I suck but what I will say is for like early morning vocal bulls at this point I tend to try and stay quiet and either work my way into it or essentially let them talk as much as they're gonna want to talk without making my presence known um, and then you know if I feel like they're moving in a location because again they're not only vocalizing but maybe their vocalization is giving you an indication of their direction and they're moving from feed to bed or something, I'll essentially just try and maybe not force it, maybe not even try and kill them that morning, but almost just like, all right, you're talking, that's great. I'm going to hang here and try and figure out what you're doing, where you're maybe moving, maybe maybe sneaking on you, but maybe just kind of like dodge you and keep moving with where you're moving and then let things settle down into late morning, midday, and then maybe not even make a play till then. So I'm not saying that um, you shouldn't be aggressive on a bull in the early morning, but I'll just say that I've had a hard time doing that personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's, that's good advice. You know, again, would not have done it the same way if it happened, it happened again the next day. Cool. Any, uh, yeah. Do we just want to pick up the story and talk about, what's happening on day two after this encounter? Is there another like theme or lesson you guys want to dive into? 
Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of went up to that same area and, and we still have plenty of elevation above it. So we've, you know, everything that we had read, learned is early in the season. They're, they're still going to be hanging out, betting at high altitude and hadn't heard anything else. So we started kind of moving up the mountain that way. And, um, I think that was say day two. I think it was the day we got rained on. We covered a lot of the mountain. We got rained on. So, um, Matt carried a flash, uh, flash shelter with us and it was awesome because it started dumping on us hard. So we were able to kind of hide out underneath that for an hour or two and have a cup of coffee and a snack. Um, always ready to have coffee and food. So, um, the weather just kind of didn't cooperate great that day, but we were able to get into some spots where we were hiking through. I mean, you smelled elk. I mean, it, we, it almost felt like we were in, you know, hours old, if that fresh sign. So we were definitely getting into the bedding areas. The struggle we had was trying to figure out where were they at this point? <laughs> Real quick, Matt, what is that shelter? Cause I'm sure some listeners are going to want to know what the heck you're using. Is it just, I mean, is it, you even you don't have the name brand or whatever. You just, it's, it's, small it's just, it's, it's a Kafaru or is it Kuru, Steve? It was a Kafaru. Kafaru. It's just a Kafaru thin it's one tarp. Of our tarps. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal, right? And it has a little bag that it tucks itself in with straps and stuff like that. So it weighs nothing, you know, maybe the size of, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, like six inches by four inches. Yeah, but half the size of an algae, right? That's, there the, you that's go. the measuring stick yeah, for, there you for go. packing <laughs> stuff. It's half the size of an algae. Yeah. It, 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 like Steve said, because it really started dumping on us, threw that thing up. Uh, and it was great. We were kind of going back and forth on what we should carry. It. And it was like, well, it doesn't weigh anything. Let's just, let's just bring it. And boy, it was the best thing ever. Nice. Um, yeah. And it's, it's pretty tough. So um, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, you know, Steve mentioned for the rest of the day, I think when we were actually underneath the shelter, we, we heard what we probably think was a bear flipping rocks down by the Creek. And then also we heard, I think that was the time Steve that we heard the distant bugle. Um, it's at this point, in the trip that we got pretty good at, or at least we thought we've got pretty good at determining hunters versus elk. Right. Um, I'll, I'll toot Steve's horn pun intended. Steve's a pretty good caller, especially from my experience, which is zero. Um, but listening to other people, uh, I mean, he, like I said, he, he, he fooled him into coming in. Um, but we were able to identify other hunters pretty easily because they, they were, not as good. And I listen, there's a reason why we're not talking about Matt's calling because I do not, I, I cow call. That's about it. Otherwise I just embarrass myself. Um, the next, the kind of the theme for the next couple of days besides the weather was the elk just weren't saying a word. Right. And that is, if I want to say something caught us off guard, that is probably what we were not prepared for because, you know, again, having never done this before, it never really occurred to me anyway that elk wouldn't talk, right? Because if elk aren't talking, how in the heck are you going to find them? Um, and I know like our previous discussion, Mark, we kind of talked about some of the things to check off of before we move to a different location. And like Steve said, we were seeing sign everywhere, everywhere. And so we knew they were there, but they just weren't saying a word. And that's what kind of got, you know, by, especially by day three, we're kind of just staring at each other like, man, how are we going to get these guys to talk? Um, and it got to the point that I think we would maybe hear a bugle a day right in the afternoon, um, but they weren't responding. And so, you know, the next, you know, day three and day four, we're kind of trying to adjust our strategy um, less busting through woods to, you know, find them thinking that they're going to stand there, which we know they're not going to do stay on horse trails, look for sign, 
stop, listen, stop, listen, you know, look for water, pay attention to feeding areas. Um, obviously, like we said, I, I, being a novice at this, we kind of associated it to hunting pressure as well. Um, with as many people as we saw, we didn't see anyone walk out with an elk on their back. Um, you know, talked to a couple people in the area and, and they kind of saw the same thing that they, they were experiencing, you know, this is similar, you know, elk not bugling. And we believe that's kind of maybe associated to the, the hunting pressure in the area. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's kind of the next day three and day four anyway, kind of consisted of is like, okay, what are we going to do different? You know, how can we get higher? Um, and that kind of skips us the day, what four, Steve, where we just decided let's, let's get on top of the mountain. <laughs> and yeah, going back to, to day three, you know, cause we kind of gone up the mountain and I'm going to use Cardinal direct. We turned left, right. We went up the mountain and we kind of veered right and then turned left and kind of side hilled just underneath this big high Ridge. And, you know, cause we knew that was towards the direction we'd heard elk the day before that they're down there. And this is when we ended up finding some, some game trails that we didn't know existed, of course. And, you know, a, use game trails when you can because side hilling through heavy, heavy brush is incredibly hard work, right? Um, so that's a big lesson learned. It's very difficult to move through that. So day three, we kind of went the same way and the weather was better. We veered right and, you know, we're looking at maps. Hey, we'll go up here and we'll drop down to here. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, try to figure out where we're going to go. And we actually did get a bugle from a high point. Not, I wouldn't call it a ridge top, but from a relatively high point, we had bugled kind of down into the valley and we heard a bugle back so i i would say the lesson learned that is be a little more patient um because i think what happened is that elk started making its way towards us and we just didn't know it so we continued on down the mountain and again we're busting busting through brush climbing over deadfall probably making significantly more noise than we should have been and then we get another bugle and same same general direction but much much closer and i could be absolutely completely wrong on this, but I suspect that might've been the same bull coming in and clearly it worked up higher than us. And uh, I was uh, trying to get into a shooting position and moving up towards him to get high. Cause it was the afternoon thermals were coming up and uh, I had no chance that no chance to get above him because it was such th- you know, thick country on that. And it was very, very steep where we're at. So I guess my, my lesson learned, my takeaway from that was maybe be a little bit more patient, especially in the midday. I think it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. We had that, that I heard the first bugle that I replied back to and got a reply and then kind of went silent. So, yeah, when you say like be patient, how long did you wait on that versus like starting to cover ground? We didn't, we didn't wait hardly at all. We were like, that's way too far away. There's no way. I mean, we're looking at the, the amount of climbing we'd have to do to get from us to where we thought we heard that bugle from. We're like, well, we're looking to go this direction. The it's way over here, 90 degrees in a different direction and it's way too far out there. So we're not going to bother with that. We'll keep doing what we're doing and looking back. Well, you know what? We probably should have hung out there and seen, you know, be, sat down, waited, see if we had any indication that, you know, that animal is coming in versus just kind of blowing it off and like, that's too far away. Um, so shame, shame on me for that one. I think that was a mistake that we made that, you know, could have been a little bit different because we ended up getting a bull coming in. that kind of came in quietly. I say bull. It could have been a. It could have been a cow. We had an elk come in, and I heard it shuffle off. You know, a couple hundred feet above me. Um, later on, I would say too, if you're he- like you heard that bugle, you heard that response. It may feel far, but if you're if you're hearing it, there are times where 
sound can truly, truly carry. But I think there's a lot of instances where you're hearing something and you're overestimating the distance of it, like even if it is faint. Um, and then you tend to overestimate, I don't say the effort, but the time, right? So I would just say that, yeah, I would be more quick to, if you have a bowl and you've been, you know, you've been searching for elk at this point, like do what you can to make that work and forget about whatever plan you had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and don't, yeah, just, it can be tough to do, but it's like, okay, we're here in an elk. Let's be patient. Or even if you don't think it's coming in, like don't give up on yourself too quick to think that you can't get there. Um, wherever you think there is, because a lot of times Mm. it just takes less time than you think. Um, and if you have a bowl to work, then work that bowl and forget your plan. Um, but yeah, again, all hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, this is, I'm, I'm sharing this as a lesson learned. So hopefully someone else going on their very first hunt says, huh, Steve yeah. screwed that up. Maybe I should do something different. I highly recommend it. You guys mentioned something about, uh, I think it was on day four. You sounds like made some sort of like hail Mary to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah, that was Matt's plan. I'm gonna let Matt cover that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we just you know at this point um, on day three and day four just had not, I guess, getting frustrated by the, the lack of communication for any elk, right? So trying to not do the same thing uh, and expect a different result, we kind of looked at the map, sat down, and said, "All right, you know, this looks like there's a clearing up here," and so we basically get to the top of the mountain. Uh, thinking that they're going to be high. There's, there was a big open area to say, Hey, maybe we can catch them in transition, right? Again, maybe more of a whitetail mindset. Like we talked about Mark, but it's kind of all, all we know. Right. So I said, Hey, if, you know, if I was an elk, I'm going to be, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to, I'm going to pass through here. There's game trails everywhere. There was a good spot on top of the Ridge um, for us to kind of hide. We got, you know, we had good, (laughs) I guess we had what we thought were good shooting lanes. Um, all around and so steve was the shooter so you know i pushed him out and i started cow calling um side note the reason we started cow calling is because we actually met a couple guys from st louis uh, shout out to them if they're listening um and he actually told us when we were he's like hey you guys just pushed a bunch of cows my way and that's uh, as a side note kind of got steve and i to rethink about how we were busting through brush and he was he had been talking about how they weren't being receptive to bugles, but they had been receptive to cow calling. So we appreciated he had been hunting for a very long time. Um, he, he dropped some knowledge on us. And so we, that's when Steven mentioned the cow call, we kind of transitioned a little bit to more of, of light cow calling than bugling. So we went to the top of this mountain and I started lightly cow calling. And I don't think it, I don't think anything really even bugled Steve. Did they, it just appeared. Right. And so, this is what we put our notes. We still don't know what it was, right? It was either, it was an, it was a large animal um, that was growling at us, <laughs> but um, you know, same thing. I, I was cow calling on top. We were probably at 9,900. I forget exactly how high we were. Um, and all of a sudden I look over and Steve's, you know, I could see him knocking an arrow and getting ready to draw. So, you know, as any you know, new age hunter, I put down my bow and picked up my camera <laughs> to to <laughs> get to get what I thought was Steve going to be you know, shooting an animal, and all of a sudden I see him look left, and he's listening to something, and I literally have my camera in my hand, and no sooner does he have that than I hear something, 
just right below me, right on the other side of this, this thicket that I kind of had shoved myself growling at us. Um, and at first I'm like, man, that, that was strange. If that was an elk that it was like, blowing at us like that, that's strange. Cause that didn't sound like, an, like I heard an elk blow, right. I heard the elk snore at us and then run away. Uh, it didn't sound like that. It sounded like something was growling at us. And I think Steve, you heard the same thing. So Oh, yeah. we kind of left there it was like well was that an elk was that a bear and then we one of our friends had said well it could have been a moose like they could, there's moose up there as well um so we have absolutely no idea it could have been bigfoot as far as, far as we know <laughs> but it was i mean it was right on me and the way the wind was coming up and you know go my wind checker out and we're checking like and i i hear this you know heavy heavy breathing right but i joke with matt I was like that thing was so close i could smell its evening cigarette i mean it was right there behind me and he's whatever it was, was moving up towards me where I was hoping he would come up. You know, we, again, we're the white tail mindset as an ambush hunter, it's going to come right up through here for us. And I had an opening through some thicket where I would be able to see a body moving and be able, that's my draw point. I see a body, boom, I'm going to draw. It's going to come three more yards and I'm going to have a shot in this open area. And I checked the way, you know, like Matt said, it, it moved around and then just busted down the hill. And when I, I heard it change direction, start to circle behind me, as soon as it busted out, I checked the wind, and sure enough, the wind had shifted completely. So all of a sudden, whatever it was, winded me, but it was right on top of me. We checked, kind of looked at that area, and we just, again, lack of familiarity, and, and you could clearly see it, but there was kind of a more of an open, grassy area on the far side of the thicket. So it was about seven or eight yards from where I was set up, uh, hoping to ambush something. And the opposite direction we expected. It was coming, it came up the hill to us. Um, coming to Matt, you know, Matt's sweet cow calls was either bringing something to, to hang out or eat. We're not sure which, but, uh, uh, it was, it was a cool experience and it was a huge climb to get up there, but it was worth it. It was a very cool encounter, whatever it was. And I had a bear tag too. So I'm like, great bear pop on out. I'll get you next. But, um, <laughs> never, never saw what it was. We hung out for a little bit and tried to reposition, but huh. never, never saw anything. You mentioned it was grassy, so you couldn't like look at tracks or anything like prints. No, it was so dry up there. That was the other thing with tracks is there was it was hard to track. I mean, we saw a sign because of you know urine and, and feces, but there were no tracks to be seen except on water holes. Um, just how dry everything was. Yeah, I'm curious. Like it would be, I don't want to ask you to like recreate the sound because it would probably be difficult. Oh, right. But yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be. I wonder what that was. It was. It wasn't quite a growl, but it was. It was very heavy breathing, bordering on starting to growl a little bit. So I mean, it was. A, it was a what I call it aggressive, loud, aggressive breathing. So shy yeah. of a growl, but more than just a, hey, I'm here to hang out. Yeah. It so was what, a, yeah. It was. It was intense. I mean, I was ready. I was ready to go. <laughs> it was an experience, and you know. So after that, you know, we kind of went down that night and. You guys always talk about it, um, but you know if you don't have an in reach, buy one or borrow one. And so you know, we were fortunate; we both have in reaches. Um, and one of the tools on there was the weather, right? Uh, which was a really big help. Um, I don't think people really talk about. It. I think people talk about in reaches for two way messaging, but the the weather app on there, you know, was pretty solid. I mean, that's what kind of gave us a heads up on the on the rain the day prior. Um, and we had been watching kind of this storm getting ready to roll in. And so at that point, we're like, man, like, what's what's the what's the plan? Like, it, I think it was day four, looking at day five. And it's like, are we, you want to 
pack up and try a different spot, you know, but watching the weather, it was, I think what it seems like a high of 50 or high of 46 or something like that. And rainy. Yeah. For so the, the next forecast coming into it was supposed to be down the highs. We're going to drop into the low sixties and lows into the low fifties. Well, like, that's fine. We're totally fine with that. The wasn't really supposed to be any more precipitation. And this was, you know, from the last time we had internet service and really looked at a long-term forecast. Matt pulls it up in his in-reach. I double-checked mine. And now the highs are at like 51, lows in the mid-30s, and thunderstorms for the next 48 hours. Like, so we had three more days that we could have stayed up there. And we hadn't left the area. And I've heard this somewhere um, probably multiple times. It's like, you don't leave elk to find elk. And there's, like Matt said, tons of fresh elk sign. There are elk in here. We're just not finding them for the most part, with, except for a few encounters and maybe a bear. Um, so we kind of had to make a tough decision there and, you know, we didn't want to leave, but with that weather rolling in and the forecast, we're like, this is going to be absolutely miserable. It's going to be freezing cold. It's going to be soaking wet. We're walking around with lightning rod strapped to our packs with a thunderstorm getting ready to come in. Um, so we, we ended up hunting the next morning on day five and then taking off, went back to the camp, packed up and, and headed back down to the truck and, heading back so we we tried to get out in the morning to try and get in some some feeding areas and, and try and kind of hail mary on that um but we're heading back to our camp and at the point we'd essentially given up you know we had thrown out a few more bugles we're kind of running out of time if we want to get out of it before the weather hit and we got rained on and actually got hailed on for about an hour walking back to the camp so as soon as we get to our camp it just poured on us again so we kind of hid in our tents packed our stuff up and as soon as the weather broke we headed started heading to the truck and we weren't i don't know a quarter to a half mile from the truck and we look back and see these and you're from the midwest you know what a, a horrible you know storm looks like and that's what's coming up over the mountains exactly where we just just been hunting um so no regrets leaving like we did it was disappointing but you know we again we looked at our 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 metrics of success was getting into some elk and having a great hunting experience. And I think we checked all those boxes and I will say, I feel vindicated because we watched the weather just for our, you know, just for ourselves the next couple of days. And you watch the radar where a storm rolled into where exactly where we were sitting and just parked. It didn't roll <laughs> through. It stopped. And we had flash flood warnings in that area for like 12 hours. Like, okay, this was probably a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Cause if, I mean, if you guys would have stayed and not even on the mountain, but like stayed in the vicinity and rode that out for two days, you would have had a short amount of time to hunt left. Right. But not much right. then with the total Basically one day left to hunt. Yeah. We'd had yeah. one day left to hunt before we had to get home to get back to work and such. So yeah. it was like, well, we could sit here. I mean, this is already hard enough as it is before the weather's get to the absolute worst possible conditions. But I say that after listening to your Alaska hunt where you had far worse <laughs> conditions, but you know, but no choice. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel a little bit, a little bit silly saying that after listening to the podcast on your hunt, but, uh, it was still, it was, you know, we could sit here and be absolutely miserable and have one more day of hunting. And we've already been struggling hard and you know, we've had a great time, you know, absolutely had an awesome time, but this is going to suck. And we had gear to like self-arrest for the truck, but you know, the trails we drove in on were dirt trails with, we crossed streams. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, we, I didn't know that area that well. So, um, you know, if we had a flash flood in there, um, uh, we weren't going anywhere. So that's one thing in the back of my mind as well is, you know, how many, like if we get stuck, what's next, but uh, yeah, I know by the way that we crested the, one of the Hills and we were leaving and lightning was striking 
the hill that we had just left. And it was like, it was like a sweet goodbye from the mountain of, uh, you know, so it was, anyway, the, the mountain was talking to us, get out, get out. No, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we considered like how, you know, it was going to be, you know, kind of embrace the suck. If we had stuck around, it was gonna be pretty miserable. And we kind of balanced like how successful are we going to be in the next 48 hours, you know, with lightning striking around us while we're carrying around aluminum sticks. Um, and versus missing our family, right? Because it's a sacrifice to leave your family for any period of time to go on a hunt. You know, it's, you know, there's a balance there. Like, well, I could be at home with my kids or yeah. I could be freezing my tail off inside a tent with lightning striking around me and not being successful. And that was kind of the, the decision we made. And again, looking at the weather day, two days later, like, yep, yeah, that was a good move. So, well, and if you go back to your goals for, the trip were one to commit to doing this and actually do it. And then two to, as you said before, like have encounters, like essentially you, you guys got what you came for, as you said, like getting an elk would have been icing on the cake, but, um, it just depends on your goals. And if you, it's going to be hard to stick something out in difficult conditions and missing the family and like looking at all the downsides and the difficulty you can overcome that if you have the motivation to go, Hey, I didn't get what I came for yet. And so I need to stick this out because I didn't get what I came for yet. But if you already feel like you kind of got what you came for, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. then makes more sense to be like, all right, yeah, I'm not going to sit here for two more days and, you know, write out a storm to maybe hunt another 10 hours, you know, type mm-hmm. thing. Cause you guys found satisfaction, what you had already done in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unless there's something else from the story, dive it like kind of shifting gears into either any shifting gears into gear, um, any gear highlights or other lessons learned, like anything like that that uh, we can chat about in the remaining time. Uh, I will say it's not a gear thing, kind of back towards nutrition, but we were using those uh, mountain ops electrolyte like powder packs you just put straight in your mouth and rinse down with water. Those things were awesome, they weigh mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. Um, you know, neither Matt or I are anywhere close to as physically fit as we would like to be, but our training getting up to us, I mean, we never felt like we were limited because of our fitness, nutrition, or hydration. You know, so we took care of our, ourselves in those. Uh, the B free filters are incredible. The water filters, absolutely love those. So we had, um, after not being able to find any water up the mountain, we were packing up the mountain with, you know, four liters of water a piece each day to make sure that we had plenty of hydration. But using those filters was awesome and combine that with the electrolyte packs again, cause they, I would keep one or two just in my bino harness in a pocket and Matt had some in his pocket and, you know, we were, <laughs> we use those quite a bit, huge fan. You mentioned you're not as fit as maybe you'd want to be, could be, et cetera, but you also weren't limited by your physical capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, to touch on what did training look like for you? I think we talked a bit about that in the first one, but just for listeners who are like, oh, okay, well, they're regular dudes from the Midwest, but they tackled it pretty well. How did they prepare? Yeah, so Matt and I did a little bit different. I know Matt followed the training program um, from EXO. and are atomic and athlete one. With- yeah. And mostly for me, it was kind of every day was leg day. So I was either mountain biking, trail running, running, hiking, you know, rucking with a pack on, you know, going heavy, going lighter for longer distances. And uh, fortunately, the weather this summer in the Midwest was pretty forgiving. So I had a lot of days that uh, I would get out and do that. And for me, it was just kind of wear the legs out and build the endurance and, and overall fitness. And yeah. uh, I think that 
you know, again, I, I had no issues carrying a heavy pack and, and, uh, I never felt like my legs were going to fail me. Didn't really have any soreness, you know, we, uh, and I, I've got to mention, you know, we talked about gear, having quality boots. I know it's get said on every podcast, but can that not be said enough? Having a good pair of boots that are broken in, you know, that you can trust them. Um, I mean, I speak for both me and Matt, my feet felt great, you know, I'd be a little sore at the end of the day, but side healing across a mountain with a pack on, you know, through brush and over stuff, having quality boots and quality gear in general. Um, and that's where I know, uh, Matt's got a mixture of first light and Sitka and I've got mostly Sitka gear and this isn't a Sitka ad, but you know, any of the high end brands, the Kuyu and everyone else quality technical hunting equipment is, is worth the investment. I think versus buying, trying to, to, to go cheap on it. Cause we never had no issues with any gear tearing or ripping. And we were not gentle. We would just bust through brush and um, yeah, definitely worth the investment. Have good boots. Yeah, I, I think I put that as a success, um, kind of not knowing what we're getting into. And Steve mentioned earlier, we were very fortunate. We took some precautions, but didn't have any type of altitude sickness at all. I, I know we weren't as high as most. I think as high as we got was, what, 95 or 96. Um, my training regime was really just thrown on, worked up to about 90 pounds in the pack. And I've got a couple hills around me. And I just did loops up and down, up and down um, to try to mimic elevation gain obviously can't mimic altitude um just to be able to climb up the mountains um and i did the you know the tomac athlete your guys back hunting pack country hunting program was great for just like different core exercises just do like different things for side hilling to work on your knees and stuff like that which i found really good of it but i was i i assumed that steve and i at some point would be gassed but you know the soreness didn't really set in until we left right every, every night we'd be tired we went to sleep but we wake up at 4 30 in the morning you know ready to go ready to get up that mountain again so i was really happy with that great yeah and Any... I, I, I can't go so sorry i gotta i have to add in the the k4 pack and we both have k4 5000s i mean it's question mark is how much can that thing actually carry <laughs> stuck it to the brim and it was fine yeah. so um I mean, the K4 is an amazing pack. It felt great. And I'll have to send you a picture of what Matt and our packs look like, which is kind of funny because you put them next to each other the day before we got the, in the, the night before. And Matt and I packed almost identically without any coordination. So I guess oh, we'll hear really? those. But um, I'll send a picture. I'll have to send you a picture of those because it is absurd how much equipment you can get in those things. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see some pictures. Steve mentioned the B-Free. That's the first gravity filter I'd ever owned. We'd always had the you know msr pump ones that we take like 30 minutes to fill up a liter of water mm-hmm. so we had a, the one liter and then we had the six liter so we just fill up the six liter at camp and hang it in a tree um that thing was amazing i mean it was to have six liters and it did it packs down to absolutely nothing right it's just a basically a small bag mm-hmm. and we weren't carrying that everywhere but to have that and be able to top up all our water immediately was just the best thing ever. I mean, at no point, I mean, we were drinking seed, what do we think? It was about five and a half liters of water a day. I think mm-hmm. we'd come yeah. back to camp. So we like we were focusing on hydration and having that much water at hand made it really simple. And then, I don't know, I just I was blown away by it. Um, it almost was like, this thing can't be filtering the water, right, with how quick it was coming through. Um, <laughs> and I mentioned the other thing because you guys had the discussion around body wipes. So I kind of did something similar. I was going back and forth with a couple different ones. That was like one of the things I was responsible for. Um, but Steve found these the clean freaks. So we used the body wipes and the flushables. Dude, uh, 
oh, totally for the win. Individually wrapped, it made it so easy to clean up at night, made it very limited trash. It was just simple rather than carrying a bag of body wipes around or anything else like that. So I, I was really happy with how those worked out. Nice. Is that something you just like on Amazon or whatever? Uh, I, th- I think we actually ordered them directly from from them. Um, okay. I think they offer military discounts, Steve, if that's right. So I think we ordered directly I, from I them. Think so. I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, um, it was either discount, military discount through one of the you know, associated sites or, or Amazon. I think I, the first round of that got bought on Amazon just because I wanted the two-day prime shipping just to yeah. check them out. And then Matt bought the you know large family three-year pack of 4,000 <laughs> flushables. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was it, it was a biodegradable, um, and it just it checked all the boxes without having yeah. to overthink it, you know. Um, and yeah. Steve, like you tuck in different things, so yeah. And with body wipes is great. You you get back, you get, you get ready to go to bed. You take a quick field shower with a body wipe, and in the next day you feel good. It was it's a small. It seems like a small kind of instant afterthought thing, but definitely worth having. You touched on a lot that you liked and enjoyed. Anything that quote unquote. I don't want to say failed or anything you would do different either in preparation or specifically on gear. I'd say, well, in terms of gear, I don't think so. I think the one thing that we, we didn't need was we brought solar panels to charge our battery packs. That was a waste of waste of space, waste of weight. You know, for mm-hmm. if doing that again, we would definitely leave those at home. Just make sure you've got a quality battery pack. That's got enough juice in it. You know, I think we, we went overkill on that freaking out. Like, Oh my God, I don't want my stuff to die. Well, you know, turn my turn my GPS inReach off when I'm not using it because I had the full Garmin GPS with inReach built in. So I just turned that off when I didn't need it. Put my put my watch. You know, I've got a Garmin watch. Put that on battery save mode to turn off all the crap I didn't need while you know hiking around and and keep my phone on on airplane mode. I mean, I just we had way more power than we needed, and the uh, solar panels were a waste of weight for sure. And they don't really work when it's raining outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. you know, you gotta have a clean day. I, uh, I, I think a lesson learned was a reinforcement of why you have backups of certain things. So my headlamp uh, failed the the first day, um, but I had a backup one in my kill kit. So now, granted, I had a partner that had one, but you know, that's just one of those things that having a backup headlamp, you know, just one of the things that's worth carrying an extra one. Um, yeah. And what's weird is that him and I have the exact same headlamp. Mine was fine. His had seizures and just, yeah, failed quick and, and catastrophically. But had another one. Um, we are, we're shooting iron wheels. So, oh, I, Steve, we completely, your strength, like days before we left. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. So about three weeks, two or three weeks, I have to go look at them, two weeks before we left, Matt and I were shooting in a, uh, a veterans uh, AFI um, Armed Forces Initiative archery shoot for veterans at uh, local archery 3D range, and we're the last stand shooting the last couple arrows, and my my string blows up. Whoa! I mean, blows up. The bow was fine. It it blew up as I released it, so the arrow was gone. So that's thirty five bucks out the window. But I mean, I'm two weeks out, and I'm getting ready to leave that week to go out of town for work all week. Oh man! So. That was that was awesome. It ended up working out. Um, local archery shop in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Overton Archery. John was awesome. He was able to get his string ordered on his day off. He came in on Monday morning on his day off to order the string, have it overnighted. Uh, I dropped my bow off there that same day. It happened, so I went up and, and dropped my bow off. Um, came back. I think Matt actually was at Lawrence that day. Picked it up. Picked up my bow for me fired 150 arrows through in the next 48 hours to try to break the string in when it got checked um 
come back to our uh, elevated archery and had JP kind of tune it up for me to make sure it was ready to go and worked out. Um, wow. I had uh, my sights, my sights, I'm not a thousand percent comfortable with, but I was 99.8% comfortable with, with my sights. Um, after putting the new string on, of course, it's, you know, not like the old string. So, um, but that was, that was an added layer of excitement trying to get that done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were shooting together when it happened. I just like the heart sank. Like we are literally counting the days, the hours at this point. Right. Um, so that was fun, but we also, we were shooting iron wheels. And so we had it, we had to match the fletchings and I know you, Steve probably talks, we, to correct the correct the path of the flight, we had to do a couple different things, JPs. Um, but it was it was good. I mean, it was fun. Other than that, we were honestly really happy. I think for the most part, every piece of gear we brought, we used. I mean, we, we touched every piece of gear, so there was nothing that stayed in the tent or the pack. You know, the the, the quilts, the everything was just great. And we'll send you our packing list. I don't know if you want to put it up. But we're going to share it with sure. other people too. But every piece of it, I think we're really happy. I mean, especially we had obviously been backpacking for a long time. But um, never like this, so I was yeah. actually pretty happy. I, I ended up ordering a um, a quilt, a sleeping quilt instead of a sleeping bag after listening to one of your podcasts, yep. and love that. Absolutely, that was as comfortable as you can get. Glad it wasn't the opposite. You ordered it, and you're like, "Why did I listen?" To <laughs> <Yeah. him?" laughs> it packs down to nothing. It was warm. It was you know a lot of flexibility. You can open up I mean, all the things you guys talked about, and. Uh, yeah, a huge, huge fan of that. It was an enlightened equipment uh, quilt. Well, cool, guys. Congrats on just committing to making it happen and going and doing it. And uh, as we said, you guys got some awesome encounters that are not easy just to even have those encounters. So uh, to me, just hearing the story feels like a massive success for you guys. So it's cool. Thanks for sharing it with us. No, we appreciate it. We're definitely going to do it again. I mean, we, we said that from the minute one, as soon as we start hiking out, it's, we got to do this again. You know, yeah. it may not be next. I think next year we're going to chase, try and maybe chase some speed goats out in Western Kansas and uh, get that antelope tag, but definitely going to be an elk hunt in the next two years. Uh, do it again. What a cool story. A great first archery elk hunt experience for those guys. And it sounds like there will be more to come. Thank you for tuning into the show today. Again, if you're enjoying it, it would help us a lot if you can just leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using. And if you have anything for us, feel free to reach out. Just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And finally, if you haven't yet hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app, be sure to do that so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.